Hello everyone, welcome to Ubi Est Mia. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode is with part-time New Yorker, part-time Chicagoan, Joshua Dumas. Joshua is a composer and a poet and a zinster and all the good kinds of art that I enjoy. He's doing interesting stuff that I would have never even thought about, so that's why he's on the show today. On Saturday, March 25th, 2017, he'll be performing Night Songs for the Birds of North America at the Lincoln Park Conservatory at 3 in the afternoon. So Joshua uh, composed this score for the conservatory, and it's been uh, played since January, and they're going to perform it live, sort of. We'll get to that. In addition to doing all this great stuff, I am a big fan of his band, Mending. If you want to follow them, go to facebook.com backslash mendingband. Very, very good. Very, very uh, sad. I like some sad music. So, So without further ado... Here's Joshua. I've known you on and off. Or I've known you for roughly 15 years. That's crazy and true. Uh, I met you initially because of the notes and scratches, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And then I think maybe the first time that we did any kind of like media thing or interview was about that opera. I love, love, love that opera, but let's trace it back even further. So roughly 15 years ago, you're in bands, you're in Chicago, you're playing venues, moderate venues. Is that fair to say? Moderate Absolutely. Moderate at best. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed it. it uh, for the people that don't know the name of the band or never heard of your music, I would say, what, Decemberists-like? Sure, that's fair. Yeah, Neutral Milk Hotel, Decemberists, Shins, that kind of universe. There uh, you go. So literate. Where, did you, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Um, okay, so what brought you from Detroit to Chicago? I, I came here for university. I came, I went to Loyola in Rogers Park. What years were you at Loyola? Uh, late 90s. Um, late 90s to early 2000s. What was Rogers Park like in the late 90s? Uh, it was very different. Um, still uh, still lovely. You know, the lake is, is right there. Um, my you know, first apartments were literally a stone's throw from Lake Michigan, which was fantastic. Um, and it was wildly inexpensive. I was just chatting with someone recently that, you know, my first apartment in Chicago, I paid $125 a month for rent. What year was this? It's like 97, maybe 98. Did you have a roommate? Multiple. Um, okay. I think that there were three of us in the space. Um, so but it was an enormous and beautiful three flat. Wait a second. Was it split evenly between the three of you? Uh, yeah. Yep. Did you have three bedrooms? Yeah. Uh-huh. It was like a $500 apartment or something like that. I really hate you right now because if I knew that <laughs> in high school, I would have just rented an apartment. <laughs> Um, I mean, Rogers Park was very far from the action at that time. You know, I think in the years hence, it's become a very, you know, viable, residential, pretty interesting neighborhood. But at that time, it uh, it felt very far from um, where interesting things were happening. What did you go to Loyola for? What was your major? Uh, poetry. This is so perfect for you. I had no idea. And that makes total and complete sense. <laughs> I feel like whenever you're talking to me, you speak a little bit quicker than you do to everyone else, and it's still incredibly slow to me because you seem to be a man that thinks about the words that you're going to say. 
Uh, I hope so. I, I, I do try, um, in particular when I am being recorded. <laughs> I understand that, but I don't. And I talk like the world's going to end and I need to get all of these ideas and thoughts out right away. And be, when I talk to you, I slow down and it's still, I'd say, double the clip of your speaking. <laughs> Uh, these are all qualities that I admire. Oh, we're very family. different people, and that's why I like you quite a bit. So uh, I met you because of the band. So you, you graduated with a poetry degree from Loyola University, and mm -hmm. why do you stay in Chicago? Well, that's complicated because I really am, am only doing half time in Chicago right now. Um, I'm exactly. my time right now. I'm talking about college. What makes you stay post-college? Oh, um, I mean, you know, it's it's really the same things that are are keeping me here now. Um, a really robust robust creative community, um, the ability to have like creative and artistic opportunities um, at like a really kind of grassroots like DIY sort of punk rock level. Um, at that time, I was involved in a ten person art collective that was like making records and zines and putting on gallery shows and concerts. Um, so yeah, it was the creative community that, that kept me in Chicago at that time. But you now split your time between New York and Chicago and you said it's like roughly half and half. Yeah, I would say so. Um, transitioning to spending more time in New York, um, uh, in part because I am, uh, I'm getting, uh, more creative opportunities there right now, um, more interesting creative opportunities. Um, Chicago was an amazing city to cut my teeth in uh, and to, uh, for lack of a better term, like be an emerging artist. Um, and now that I approach middle age and am, I, I would say like in a more sort of mid-career mindset, um, the resources that are available to mid-career artists in New York right now are, are outstripping what's available here in Chicago. The you know the DIY and, and punk and, and storefront and et cetera scene here is still like so rich and so fruitful, but uh, harder to uh, essentially like get paid and have institutional support, um, which that's what New York is offering me right now. Do you think that's ever been different, or you just got a little bit wiser? and a little bit more maybe confident in what you deserve to get paid? Gosh, you know, I don't know. Um, it, uh, there, there is a life cycle to all of these things, I, I think, in some ways. Like DIY spaces come and go, uh, you know, galleries come and go, uh, neighborhoods gentrify and transform. Um, so I'm, it might just be that I'm uh, on the other end of one of those cycles right now, and, you know, the the early 20-somethings um, in Avondale uh, are feeling really excited about their creative practices, but I, I've just kind of aged out of that scene. It's interesting because I don't know if I've ever willingly spent time doing anything for fun in Avondale, and apparently now it's a thing. It is, absolutely, yep. Um, when you started doing this, the, the art and the DIY scene, uh, did you use Loyola at all, or was it just more like, I happen to be in Chicago, I'm going to take advantage of the city and not so much the university? Uh, mostly the city. Um, I did a little scoring for theater when I was in college, um, but mostly it was uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of trooping to Wicker Park um, and Ukrainian Village uh, is where, you know, in, in those early days where uh, a lot of, I don't know, artistic 
mojo was going on. Um, and so, yeah, I was riding the trains from Rogers Park uh, into the, you know, the west side quite a lot. And well, okay, number one, Ukrainian Village in Wicker Park is not the west side. It's still the northwest side. Number okay, one. fair. And number fair, two... Fair. If you haven't taken that trip from Rogers Park, that's more than an hour on the train usually. It is, yes, yeah. Which sounds crazy if you look at a map and you're like, that's five miles away. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. So where are you staying in Chicago now when you're when you're there? Uh, I'm in um, the Motor Row neighborhood, which um, doesn't really mean anything to anyone. It's just east of Chinatown, um, like Michigan and Surmac, basically. What brought you over there? Uh, I'm living in a like a work live loft space um, that has a very very long history. It's called the Shape Shop. Um, it's been uh, like recording studio and rehearsal space and art studio space for gosh maybe 20 years. Um, it was originally a truck stop. Um, interesting that we're talking about this to, right now because a bunch of the guys that ran the space initially are performing at Constellation tonight as part of the uh, Boxhead Ensemble, um, a record that was tracked uh, next to my bedroom uh, 20 years ago. Do you ever get tired of living this lifestyle? Because I'm on the periphery of what you do, and I love what you do, but my life is very different than that, and I don't envy you in any way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, does it get tiring is really the question sure yeah it absolutely gets tiring Um, I think at some point in my late 20s I I made a a fairly conscious decision that um, my that time was more important to me than like comfort and luxury Um, and uh, now it's too late to go back so uh, this is the life I've chosen, and uh, and I'm running with it, and, so and I'm mostly in. enjoying it. You are happy-ish for the most part. I am, yeah, absolutely. And that makes me happy to know that. Where are you living in New York? Uh, I'm all over the place. Um, uh, when I'm in New York, I'm doing short-term sublet housing, and so predominantly Brooklyn. I've stayed in Red Hook, in Fort Greene, in Cobble Hill, Um sort of wherever, uh, in Bushwick, sort of wherever I can find uh, fairly affordable short-term housing is where I've been staying. What's affordable in New York versus affordable in Chicago at this point well, in 2017? I mean, I, I think a lot of it is about is more about space than, than numbers. Um, you know, uh, a, a thousand bucks in New York um, gets you a room with, you know, two room, you know, gets you a, a, a small bedroom with, in an apartment with two roommates. Um, you know, in Chicago, that is your own one-bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. So it's it's expensive there. Um, there's there's some advantages in um, how, uh, in the public transit system there. So, so getting around town there, you can live more fringe Uh, I feel like in New York and still be able to get places really easily without like a a ton of concerns about safety and that sort of thing. Um, Whereas in Chicago, as we, as we mentioned, um, it's possible to be five miles from a place and that be an hour and 15 minute Mm -hmm. commute, you know? Mm -hmm. How are you getting around both cities? Public transit. Yeah. Do you bike? Uh, You know, I, I don't, I would like to, and it's something that I'm trying to figure out. Um, 
having a bike in both cities is uh, not in the budget right now. Um, but I've been thinking about uh, the the city bike, um, or you know, in Chicago, the Divi. Uh, I had a had a friend say something really interesting recently. She's a city planner, um, and made the case that you know the, those bicycles are just an extension of public transit, and uh, that kind of that shifted my thinking about those those things, which like look ridiculous and seem uh, seem I don't know, not the easiest to use. But thinking about them as like oh, the last mile um, of public transit you just do on one of those bikes, which uh, I think that, yeah, this summer I'm going to get a subscription, so I'll keep you posted. They don't feel stupid while you're riding them? Oh, that's good to know. They're heavy. They are very hmm. heavy bikes. If anything, it feels like uh, a European, specifically like a Norwegian bike. Hmm. It's not at all what you're used to. It's if you crash, no one's going to get hurt. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're built. They're built for accidents. It's actually uh-huh. it's fascinating. I love them. They're in Washington D.C. and uh, yeah, it's not silly if everyone has them. Right. Agreed. One of the reasons why I always like seeing new performers. I don't exactly know what I'm going to get. When I first saw you, it was like you said, Neutral Milk Hotel, December stuff like that. And then about maybe a decade later, I saw you. Uh, I saw an opera that you wrote and made, and it was in a in a, in a space near where was that space? That was like Grand and Racine, maybe so Grand what, and Halstead. What neighborhood is that? Gosh, I don't know. I don't even know if it has a has a name. It's south of West Town. Anyways, that's not the point. Yeah. The point is, <laughs> um, I didn't know what to expect, and it was my favorite piece of art that year. Was that 2010? Yeah, that sounds about right. And. I think I saw the end of the run or something like that. And I regret it because I would have loved to have gone back. And I feel like I'm stumbling upon that again with what you're doing this weekend. But let's talk about that opera for a second. Um, sure. What was the name of it? Uh, Lightwaves and Their Uses. Which is a beautiful, beautiful name. And if you've ever seen a photo of Joshua, that's a perfect name for an opera that he would pen. <laughs> um, and it was not fun, but it was not heavy handed. Does this make sense? Sure. Yeah, that feels about right. Um, There's that Lars Van Trier film which uses that employs tape for the set. You huh, I, I haven't seen that. Yeah. What is that? Uh, it's, uh, I'm going to feel real dumb, and uh, I'm not going to look it up. Look that up, okay. listener at home. So Great. there's a Lars Van Trier film, and, and I, I feel like you use the same type of uh, staging for the opera. Yeah. It was yep. very, very, yeah. very minimal. And you had singers... Not off stage because it wasn't a stage. It was sort of in the round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I'm painting a picture or just making an abstract word puzzle here, but uh, you guys used space in a way that I, I have very rarely seen. It was something that you'd see in storefront theater utilizing it, but the space itself was so large. And that's why I brought up the location because it was in sort of a warehouse district. It was, yeah, yeah. That was the the building stage was the name of that space, which was a you know a theater company that they had about they had a good decade run here. They they probably closed up shop like mm, five years ago, something like that. Okay. Now I adored this piece. Did you ever restage this? No, no. Um, we almost immediately moved on to uh, opera number two after we closed that show. What was opera um, number two? Uh, opera number two, I think, was one thing and everything else. Um, 
And yeah, again, at the building stage, um, same creative team. It was a collaboration with uh, David Amaral, who is a director that's um, now on the West Coast now for, for uh, his graduate degree. Um, but yeah, he and I had a run there of about three or four years in a row doing a, you know, like one opera a year. Now, why do this opera? You have a poetry degree, you write pop songs, you do zines. Why are you now producing, I'm assuming, much more difficult to make operas? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of concurrently at that time, uh, it, it almost, yeah, I think with, within months of starting that opera, um, that band, Notes and Scratches, broke up, um, and I was, I think, you know, a, a little cast to the wind, um, uncertain about whether I wanted to, you know, like put another rock band together, and also, uh, you know, looking towards the future, you know, knowing that I wanted to spend the rest of my life making music and art in some form, and uh, sensing that playing in a low-rent rock band might not afford that opportunity. Um, and so it was, it was at that time that um, I started to just get more aggressive about pursuing um, multiple kinds of, uh, of creative practice. Sounds like there was a specific moment where you had to decide, am I an artist? Am I, am I doing this? Am I all in? You've alluded to it not 10 minutes ago, that you're in for life. Yeah, um, I don't know about I don't know about a specific moment, but definitely like that that era, I suppose. Um, okay. Started doing the operas, uh, started doing some film scores, and uh, concurrently quit my full time job and started working part time um, in order to afford myself the time to you know pursue this uh, multidisciplinary creative practice. How often are you proud of what you've created? Ooh, that's such a hard question. Thank you. Um, it is always a combo platter. Um, I mean, in most cases, I'm proud of everything, uh, but really? I also really am aware of like where the work fails, and ideally, in noting those failures, uh, hopefully that those those uh, become a corrective measure for work in the future you're able to tell right away this is failing or this failed and you're okay with it and you're proud of the overall. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that there's a way in which uh, I, I feel so uncertain as to like what meter stick we should use for success or failure. Um, you know, the most optimistic is that if the work like reaches like one person and moves them, then it's a success. Um, uh, the most cynical is that uh, I still eat rice and beans a lot. Um, sure, sure. So yeah, I just uh, yeah, I, I I think that for me it's always a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Why are you said the opportunities are in New York? Yeah, um, I mean I think a lot of it has to do with like mid-career institutional support. Sure, um, but what I'm asking for is one specific example of something in New York that's been great for you or is going to be good for you and you really wish was in Chicago, if not every city. Uh, right now I'm collaborating with an artist that's got a LMCC grant, so Lower Manhattan uh, Cultural Council. They do this remarkable program where the chase building uh in the heart of the financial district they give 
LMCC a floor every year, and then LMCC turns that floor over to a cohort of artists. Um, and so the, the, the uh, Sarah Cameron Sunday is the person that I'm collaborating with on this project right now. And so we're on the 24th floor of this like banking high rise in essentially what was some executive's office last year, but for this year, like we get to like paint on the walls and uh, play with cameras and projectors and, and we have dancers coming in and you know all overlooking the uh, lower Manhattan skyline. Uh, it just is it's remarkable and cool and weird. Um, and then so the artists spend a year, you know, essentially ostensibly, I guess is a better word, uh, kind of trashing this floor uh, and then Chase renovates it and there's going to be bankers in the space next year. That is a very good example. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, something that you're doing now that I'm sadly just finding out about is uh, Night Songs for the Birds of North America, uh, which is once again an appropriate title for what you do, but it's at the Lincoln Park Conservatory which is not where you'd expect to hear anything other than birds. Um, so Experimental Sound Studio is, uh, is a long-standing a long institution. They're probably 30, maybe even 40 years old, um, and they're a space uh, in the Ravenswood neighborhood that uh, is a recording studio, but they also um, program work throughout the city, and they've had this long relationship with the Parks District, uh, and in particular, the Lincoln Park Conservatory. And so they've been inviting like between two and three composers a year for probably about 10 years um, to create sound installations that uh, then, you know, are, are presented uh, in, in their rare fern room. Um, it's an amazing program, and I was super honored to be asked to, uh, to contribute something. It, the, the very few clips I've heard are very soothing and nice and wonderful and it makes me happy that this program exists tomorrow for the final for final day of it it closes on sunday we're, okay. we're treating tomorrow as kind of our closing celebration though you're actually going to perform yeah so the the piece was constructed um i i did a bunch of research in uh into the, um, the, they call it the red list, which is the most endangered species on the planet. Um, and I dug into that, uh, discovering which of these species are in North America, you know, which are considered threatened, which are considered endangered, which are considered extinct. Um, and then uh, almost exclusively using this incredible resource at Cornell University, the Macaulay Library has an audio archive. Um, and so was, I was able to unearth uh, the, the, the bird calls of these um, vulnerable, endangered species, uh, you know, North American bird species. Um, using those bird calls, I then invited um, a few musicians to uh, respond to the, the, the calls, creating these like little melodic fragments. Um, and so what you hear in the fern room uh, are these interpretation of endangered bird calls by Chicago musicians. And so for the performance tomorrow, we're going to be uh, kind of replicating that process live. Um, Winnie Johnson, who is a brilliant uh, viola player um, and composer and musician, uh, and Keith Jackson, who is a fantastic horn player and composer and musician, are going to be joining me. And we're all going to have headphones on um, with these bird calls being piped into 
our headphones, and then we're going to be responding uh, live in real time to the bird songs that um, the audience will not be able to hear, but uh, will be um, interpreted or improvised or transcribed by by the three of us live. That's very nice and very unlike anything else that's happening on Saturday afternoon in Chicago. <laughs> I think you're probably right. <laughs> What do you hope to achieve from all this other than this, the aspect of creating, the, the, the satisfaction of making something that didn't exist? Well, I mean, I think in part because of our um, current political climate and also because of my own sort of, I don't know, longstanding interest that, you know, obviously predates this administration um, in climate catastrophe and and in uh, the problems of, of Despeciation. Um, I'm hoping that uh, through, I don't know, through through the lens that we're creating, through through this kind of interpretation, um, it uh, may give audience persons some pause, or just to you know provide a, an opportunity, a, like a public place of uh, thoughtfulness, or maybe even space for grieving. Um, to yeah, to consider the, the ramifications of, of human activity and how it uh, affects animal populace, the beings that are you know in our gardens, that are in our backyards, that are in our national parks, etc. You've lived in Detroit, Chicago, and New York City. Have you ever lived in a place that actually has nature? Uh, I lived in Iowa City for a spell, um, which nature was very close by. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, do you think you're ever going to leave Chicago for good? For good? Doubtful. Um, I mean, there there is so much to recommend um, to recommend the city from an artist's uh, perspective. Okay. Um, uh, I think that yeah, I think that I will forever have a uh, a, a toe in these waters. Uh, finally. Uh, <laughs> This is a. I don't want to offend you. Sure, hit me. When was the last time you like screamed at someone? When was Ooh. the last time you lost your marbles and you actually like? Ru- when was the last time you yelled at someone which is on par with my speaking level? Who? Um. Uh. I don't know. Probably. Maybe ten years ago. I hate um, you. <laughs> <laughs> ten years, really? Yeah, I'm trying to think of the last time. Um, do the you thing know that's your blood rate, is, or do you know your blood pressure? I don't know my blood pressure. I'm sure it's um, very low. I, I would imagine. <laughs> one, one would hope. <laughs> If you would like more information on Joshua, once again, go to facebook.com backslash mendingband, M-E-N-D-I-N-G, band. Uh, He will be at the Lincoln Park Conservatory, which is a weird place to see a show, and that makes it unique and special, on Saturday, March 25th, 2017, once again at the Lincoln Park Conservatory. I don't think I've ever plugged anything at a conservatory before. So, that's that. For more information on me, follow me on Twitter. It's at sign YMTE. For more information about this show, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We're Ubi Est Mia Pod on Twitter and Ubi Est Mia on Facebook. I wrote a book. It's called The Donald, How Trump Turned Presidential Politics into Pro Wrestling. Find that at Donald Trump is a Wrestler. 
www.dmitrysamaroff.com. Our art is by Dmitry Samaroff, and our music is by Daniel Knox. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful night.